Well, hey, everybody, so great to be with you. Whether you have braved the elements in your one-horse open sleigh or are joining us online with a cup of hot chocolate, I am thrilled to have you along for the ride. And before we go any further, I just have to share an image that one of you emailed me this week. It's one of those things that is just too good not to pass along. Uh, It's an old frame from the comic strip Dennis the Menace. Remember this guy? Uh, and this, this frame, Dennis is uh, reluctantly visiting a church, and he walks up to the pastor uh, and says something really profound. He says, you know, I-, I bet a lot more people would come if you allowed popcorn. And some of you have always were like, hey, where did the popcorn idea come from? And now you know the rest of the story, right? Uh, Anyway, today we get to continue a series we've called Fighting for Family that I'm really hoping will prepare us all for what many people call the most wonderful time of the year, but because of complicated family dynamics can feel more like the most stressful time of the year, all right? And as I mentioned, uh, this series is based on the idea that with proper expectations, I really do believe it's possible to fight for and not just with your family this holiday season. And, and I know a few of you are visiting for the first time. You're like, uh, yeah, that sounds too good to be true. And if that's what you're thinking, I'm just thrilled that you're with us because I get to show you what I mean by that. And so to get us going today, I want to make another one of those observations that I think we all can agree with. It goes like this. Uh, reconciliation is a tricky thing, especially when it comes to family members. And this would be a good time for everybody to go, mmm, right? That thoughtful, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Because relationships with family members can really be so emotionally complicated that it can be tempting to write them off as irrecoverable. But, But here's the thing, and we talked about this in detail last week. When we open the pages of the Bible, what we find is incredibly clear instructions to early Jesus followers to encourage them to attempt to reconcile their broken relationships in spite of. Like in spite of all the hurt and the pain and the loose ends, followers of Jesus are still encouraged to try to reconcile broken relationships. And moreover, and this is really the key to the whole thing, the motivation for this admittedly challenging assignment is to come not from the hope that reconciliation is actually going to happen, but rather from the fact that reconciliation in spite of is precisely what God did for us. I mean, whether we think about it this way or not, we rejected him over and over again. We broke relationship with him over and over again through our sin, but he never stopped pursuing us. In fact, he was willing to do whatever it was going to take in order to make reconciliation possible. In fact, and and here's something to think about, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're just kind of kicking the tires, or you're here today and you say, well, I think I used to be a Christian, but I'm not even sure if I ever was a Christian, whatever you stand on the spectrum of faith, I have some really good news for you. Because no matter what you've done or haven't done, or how far you've gone or haven't gone, God has not given up on you. He wants to reconcile his relationship with you. And through Jesus, he has removed every obstacle to reconciling with you except you, specifically your desire to be reconciled with him. He loves you enough to let you say no. And so now the only thing keeping you from being reconciled to God is you accepting the gift of what Jesus already accomplished on your behalf when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And I'm telling you, that is the best news in the history of history. Okay, so with the rest of our time today, and I promised you this last week, I want to give you three incredibly 
practical things that you should consider when attempting to reconcile any broken relationship, especially a broken relationship with a family member. And so my first suggestion goes like this. Like before you reach out to this person, you really need to clarify the goal right? And here's why I say that. In my experience, it's natural for us to enter a process of reconciliation with someone with the wrong goal in mind. Like whenever we reach out to someone with whom we struggle, our goal is often to attempt to settle our disagreement with them by explaining to them why they were wrong. Am I the only one? Right? And like we reach out and we want to help them understand our point of view because we want them to understand why we believe that our actions towards them were justified. But but that's not the goal of reconciliation. Like from heaven's perspective, reconciliation is about rebuilding a relationship in spite of everything that has happened in the past, or even, and this is huge, in spite of our current differences of opinion. And, and, and you know, we're confronted by this, and I kind of already know what you're thinking because it's what I'm thinking when I'm writing this. I think, I can't do that. And God says, yes, you can, because that's exactly what I did for you. Uh, An early pastor named Paul affirmed that that's what God did for us brilliantly in a letter to early Christians living in the city of Rome. Here's what Paul told them. He says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, (laughs) you can even read it, while we were still sinning, like Christ died for us. It's in Jesus, God moved towards us before we worked on removing the bad habits and sins from our lives. Actually, he offered us a relationship knowing, because he's God, that there would be bad habits and sins that we may never remove fully from our lives, knowing that we may never change some things that really need changing. So he does that for us, and after receiving that sort of disruptive grace, he invites us to pass that same disruptive grace on to other undeserving people. And I know that's a very difficult thing for us to do. I mean, there's something inside all of us that says, but I've just, we, we've got to get everything out on the table and come to an understanding before we can reconcile, because that's just how it works. And I get that. It's natural to believe that agreeing about what happened in the past is a prerequisite for reconciliation, but it's not. See, God desires that followers of Jesus attempt to reconcile with someone in the midst of their relational mess, not only after cleaning that relational mess up. And again, I know it doesn't feel right, and that's why so many people enter a process of reconciliation with the wrong goal in mind. And we have all sorts of seemingly valid objections when we do that, right? We think to ourselves, man, if I get back into a relationship with them, then won't I be like condoning their behavior? Or if I don't confront their sin, then they'll think I'm okay with their sin, and I am not okay with their sin. Like they'll move forward in thinking that I'm agreeing with their lifestyle, And if you've ever had that thought, just something fun to think about, uh, this is the same dilemma Jesus faced the day that he approached a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth 2,000 years ago along the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he looks at Matthew and he says, come follow me. And it's easy to miss if you don't get the culture, but everyone around Jesus when he invited Matthew to follow would have been shocked. Again, Matthew was a tax collector and tax collectors were seen as thieves and traitors to their own people. And the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, those were like the orthodox religious people, right? They they were the ones who were trying to follow all the rules and not be thieves and not be traitors. Nevertheless, Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, come follow me. And in response, it's great when you read the narrative, uh, Matthew asked Jesus where they're going. Like, okay, I'll follow you. Where are we going? And Jesus looked back and said, we're going to your house. And Matthew, I also want you to invite all of your tax collector friends to join you. 
we're going to share a meal together. And I'm telling you, the religious leaders in that moment, like their heads were exploding. Not literally, that would be gross. But you know what I mean? This was, this was so, they couldn't believe it. They even said to Jesus, but Jesus, if you do that, aren't you condoning his sin? And Jesus looked back and said, no, I'm just going to his house. And then they asked Jesus other disciples, because Jesus had called some other disciples. And he said, like, if Jesus goes to Matthew's house, wouldn't it seem like he's affirming Matthew's lifestyle? And they responded, honestly, we're not sure. <laughs> We just became his disciples too, and uh, he's kind of off the script, but really interesting dude, and so stay tuned. Um, but uh, we're going to dinner. We're, we're, with, we're with Jesus. And to be fair, Jesus' actions raised a really important question, and I would even argue raise a really important question. I mean, how can you develop a relationship with someone who hasn't turned away from their sin? And how can you develop a relationship with someone who hasn't adjusted their lifestyle? Well, if you'd ask Jesus, I think he would tell you that, well, he knew something that we often forget, and it, it goes like this. Uh, reconciliation leads to relationship, and then relationship leads to influence. Reconciliation leads to relationship, and relationship leads to influence. I'm telling you, if you want to have influence in someone else's life, you've got to have a relationship with them first. And that's why if a relationship is broken and you want to influence someone, you've got to first reconcile with them. And by the way, um, you all know what happened with Matthew after meeting Jesus, right? Like within days, he left behind the tax collecting business completely. And eventually he wrote a document that made it into the New Testament of your Bible. It, it's a document that is un, uncreatively titled Matthew. Like, it's a fascinating example of how relationship can lead to influence. And that's why if you or I want to influence someone out of a lifestyle that we don't agree with or we don't feel like God agrees with, we first need relationship with them. And in order for that to happen, we have to make a decision. We have to ask, you know, we have to prioritize being, um, you have to say, okay, will I, be, will I prioritize being offended by them or concerned for them? Which is more important, for me to be offended by them or concerned for them? And will we allow our offense to override our concern for them? Or are we going to do what God did for us and essentially say, I'm offended and I'm concerned, but I'm going to be driven primarily by my concern and not by my offense. And I know it's difficult for us to do, especially when someone has hurt us deeply. I mean, when somebody offends me, I'm tempted to move away from them, like emotionally and relationally and geographically. Like, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm tempted to say to them, if you get your life in order, then we can try a relationship. But until you get your life in order, there's no way. But God looks at us, God looks at me and says, aren't you glad I didn't treat you that way? Aren't you glad I didn't wait until you got your life in order before extending relationship? I, I mean, remember the verses that we explored in detail last week? They're from a letter written by Paul to early Christians in Greece. Here's what he says. He says to them, all this is from God who reconciled, there's our word, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you were reconciled and now you've been given something. You've been given something he calls the ministry of reconciliation. He says, okay, what does that mean? Well, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. That's the us part. And he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We said it last week. We're like on a mission from God, like Blues Brothers told us, right? Yeah, Dan Aykroyd, brilliant theologian. We're, we're Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, he has asked us 
to move into relationships with people in spite of their ongoing sins and bad habits. He invited us to follow his lead. And now to be honest, we Christians haven't done this very well over the years. Maybe you've noticed, right? Uh, we, we sort of stood back and said, well, I, you know, I don't want to condone that, so I can't really go there or call them or attend that. And the only possible explanation for that behavior is that we've somehow lost sight of God's amazing grace towards us. So again, when you move towards reconciliation, you've got to have the right goal in mind. The goal isn't for everybody to get on the same page. The goal is to do everything that you can do to communicate acceptance to that person, to have them understand, yeah, we disagree, but I still accept you. So that's, that's kind of what I mean when I say that we need to clarify the goal before entering a process of reconciliation with someone. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think um, you need to consider in order to facilitate the process of reconciliation is to, as much as possible, create safe environments. In other words, you have to establish environments that are conducive to reconciliation. So I'm, I was trying to get a word picture because I'm a visual learner to kind of help you with this. And so maybe think about it this way. Have you ever messed with a turtle? Any? Did not see that coming, did you? No. <laughs> Confession, I have. I was a troubled child who grew up in the woods. A anyway, I noticed that um, turtles are, whenever they're uncomfortable, they sort of pull in underneath their shell. Like they close up completely. And based on my experience, if you try to poke them and shake them and tap them, <laughs> save the emails from PETA. I know, I was wrong. I've repented, right? But if you try to poke them and shake them and tap them to come out of their shell, what happens? They just pull in farther because they don't feel safe. And so the reason I bring the turtle thing up is poking and shaking and prodding people, emotionally speaking, right, doesn't work well either. And yet sometimes in our attempts to reconcile, we do just that. We, we, we try and have significant conversations with them that begin with us asking them, why did you or how could you? And the people with whom we're seeking to reconcile pull further and further under their shells. And that's why if we're ever going to have success in reconciling with a broken relationship, we must learn to create safe environments, environments that are characterized by humility and acceptance. Now, just for fun, here's a few of the things that you might say in order to establish such an environment. As soon as you see it, you're going to get this. You could say things like this. If I had seen things happen the way you saw things, I bet I'd feel like you feel. Like if I had seen things, or I'm so sorry, I can't even imagine having to go through what you went through. I'm telling you, when you say things like that, you express incredible humility and empathy. And the person with whom you're attempting to reconcile can take off their boxing gloves, put them aside, and have a meaningful conversation with you. I also think it's worth noting that creating an emotionally safe environment often takes a lot longer than we might expect. And you, you probably have experienced this. Um, like you reached out to someone, you had this, and maybe some, some dumb pastor told you you had to reconcile, so you got under your skin and you reached out, right? And they didn't respond. And then you reached out again, and you're up in bed at night trying to figure out, like, did I text them on an old number or did they just not check their email or how does that work but they, they just you kept reaching out they kept not responding and so eventually you, you quit trying but, but I'm telling you if the hurt was deep enough again from their perspective if the hurt's deep enough trust takes time to develop and so if you you think or I think it's going to take a couple months it might take six months or a year 
It's like emotions and relationships just don't recover easily. Just a, a couple examples um, that, that may resonate with you. Husbands, um, we can't verbally attack our wives and walk in a day later and quickly mend the relationship. I mean, we can say that we're sorry and we can mean it, but if she's tucked inside her shell, she may not come out for a while, right? Because trust takes time. And on the flip side, wives, there are things that you can say in an unguarded moment to your husband that sort of shred their soul a little bit. And in these situations, a heartfelt apology doesn't quickly get things back to normal. Like, because from his perspective, he just doesn't feel safe. He's pulled under his shell. And so it's interesting, the deeper the hurt, the longer it can take to create a safe environment. So if you go after this with someone and the hurt's deep enough, please just be patient. Trust takes time. So that's the second thing that I would suggest if you're going to reach out to someone and try to reconcile. Uh, the third thing that I'd suggest uh, before you attempt to reconcile a broken relationship goes like this. Plan to shoulder the weight of someone else's sin. Plan to shoulder the weight of someone else's sin. Said differently, we need to shoulder the weight of the consequences of someone else's sin. And here's, here's why this is so important. Uh, and again, you've probably experienced this too. Often in our attempts to reconcile with someone, we want things to go back to the way they were, but they rarely do because they rarely can. The hard reality is that sin, either our sin or the sin of someone else, always results in complications and consequences. And if you're going to reconcile with someone, you can't do it without taking on some of the emotional weight of their complications and their consequences. See, we naturally just want things to go back to normal, but again, many times they can't because damage has been done and now there's baggage. And that's why reconciliation is always messy and it's always time-consuming and it's always expensive. I mean, sometimes to reconcile with our father means you need to take on his new girlfriend too. And sometimes if you want to reconcile with your daughter, it means you have to take her boyfriend too. Or to reconcile with your son means you have to take on a bit of the emotional weight of his addiction. You can't, you can't just say to someone, hey, leave all that at the door and come home. Because that, whatever it is, is a part of their story now. And if we're going to reconcile with them, we're going to have to accept that part of their story. But in order to do that, we have to step out of the broken relational economy of this broken world and into the relational economy modeled by Jesus, the relational economy of the kingdom of God, an economy whose currency is amazing grace. And part of that is that we're willing to take on some of the weight of someone else's sin. Because again, that's exactly what God did for us through Jesus. Paul uh, said as much in a letter to early Christians living in Greece. Here's what he said. He says, um, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. And it's like, that's a fancy thing Paul says there. But basically what he's getting after is, in order to reconcile with you, God through Jesus took on your sin. For him to be reconciled to us, it cost him the life of his son. And he paid the price because that's how much 
He loves us. And then he invites you and me to do the same thing in our broken relationships with the people in our families. And yet things won't be the way they used to be. They can't be the way they used to be. That's the consequence of sin. But it's not a reason to keep people at a distance or to demand that people clean up their act before reconciling with them. Because again, we've stepped out of the relational economy of this broken world and into the relational economy of the kingdom of God. We've stepped away from trying to reconcile with people and make things fair. And we've just stepped into an economy where we've been invited to just absorb the debt and that enables us to move forward. Okay, so now as we kind of come in for a landing on this series, I want to ask you a question. And it's actually the same question I asked you last week. I think it's a really good question, right? Kind of cuts to the chase. And the question goes like this. Who's your person, right? Like, who comes to mind when I was talking today? I was meeting with a pastor friend this week, and I was sharing some of what we were talking about. And he goes, oh, dude, that's hilarious. You don't even have to do, like, is it an aunt? Is it an uncle? As soon as you know who's your person, everybody's like, got it, (laughs) right? So who's your person? Who came to mind as we were talking today? And what would it look like to reach out to them and to make contact with them like this holiday season? What would it look like to move forward in reconciliation, because reconciliation always moves forward. And what might it look like to create a safe environment for them? And how could you prepare yourself to shoulder the weight of some of their sin? Because I'm telling you, if you can honestly answer these questions, you're well on your way to start fighting for and not just with members of your family. And I had a couple of you reach out this week. I just wanted one more, one more disclaimer on this because there, there really are people in this world who are so broken that they're dangerous. And if you've set a boundary with a counselor um, who's like, yeah, you need to definitely keep them at distance and you're beyond trust, then obviously uh, you get a pass on this. And as I mentioned last week, and this is fine, I'm not going to be following up with you individually to see if you did anything with this. So don't, no worries there, right? I mean, you'd be like, nope, not doing it. Okay, great. Feel the lean. And there you go. So uh, there's my disclaimer. And uh, there is grace even in that. But uh, just that challenge that, that God would say, you know, would you take what I did for you? And consider doing it for someone else. Take, take the amazing grace and, and pass it on. That, my friends, are a few thoughts on how to pursue reconciliation. And so now I'd love to invite you to stand if you're here in the room. And I'll close our time together in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, you are good and you are love. And you are grace thank you that while we were still sinners, you came for us and offered us reconciliation. And thank you for the challenge, really not my challenge, but the words of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his challenge to followers of Jesus to pass it on. I pray that your spirit would lead us as we try to discern what to do with what we've heard. And, and I actually, as I was writing this week, I was imagining gatherings at the holidays that that we're infused with a little more of your light and your love because we lean in to what you invite us to do. And so I pray for peace in all of our family gatherings. I pray for joy that we might be able to share a little bit of the beauty of this broken world. And this week, um, I ask for your grace and your peace to be on us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, 
Amen. Friends, it's been good to be together once again this week. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have some people under the screen to my left. So grace and peace. We'll see you next week.